0: Some men pretend the things of this world have brought them peace. Some may say he doesn't fit with their philosophy. I know Jesus is still the answer. He's always been
1: and always will be. Well, that's a true message, isn't it? Amen. It's something about the music that uh, we use. You want music that's going to tell a biblical truth. And boy, there's a truth in that song right there. That's for sure. That's a lot of Bible in that that message of song there. Well, take your Bible today. Turn over to Genesis chapter 14. And again, it's a little bit different than in the past. We used to have this thing going all the way into midnight and all that good stuff. But tonight we're not doing that. And... um, I can't say that I'm disappointed personally, that gets late, you know, I mean, I kind of like, the older I get, the less I like staying up real late, I don't even know if I'll see the new year come in, I really don't, I don't know, you know, um, unless my uh, stockbroker calls me and tells me I hit the big one or something, about 11.59, I'll probably be in bed already, okay? And, uh, so anyway, Genesis chapter 14. I don't know about you. I don't know if you got big plans tonight or not. That's okay. Either way, be safe and be careful. Have a good time. Well, tonight, as we look forward to the new year again, I kind of felt impressed to preach some messages that might encourage us as we move into the new year. And this morning, I wanted a message that would kind of point us in the right direction as far as just our, our, our priorities and so forth. Tonight, I want to talk to everyone in the building, of course, but I want to um, ask a question tonight. I want to ask this question. Is there a man of God in the house tonight? Is there a man of God in the house? And so I want to look at Genesis chapter 14. And again, ladies, I'm not uh, dismissing you and I'm not going to in any way uh, take away from your influence and your part and uh, necessity in the church by any stretch of the imagination uh, matter of fact, many of the principles we're going to address apply to you as well. We need some men. We need some women of God too. Don't misunderstand where I'm going with this. But by the same token, I'm going to be honest with you. If we need anything in the church today more than anything else, it's men of God. Now, listen. I, I'm not I, again. We need women of God. Don't don't get me wrong. and and. and but we need some men to be men. Be godly men. And so tonight, I want to look at the passage over here in the book of Genesis, chapter 14. We're going to see a man tonight. Look, if you would, at uh, Genesis, chapter 14. We're going to read a couple of verses here and there throughout the chapter. Uh, but let's read, first of all, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass in the days of... And these names are something else. Amphraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elasar. Chetalomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. That these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Birsha, king of Gomorrah, Shanab, Shanab, king of Adma, and Shemem, Shemeber, king of Zoboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zoar. Whew. Let's pray. No, I'm teasing. But anyway... Wow, that was that was something. Verse eight, all right, verse eight. Now that uh I I don't know if you got anything out of that passage. You should have just read it silently. But nonetheless, verse eight. And there went out the king uh went out the king of Sodom and the King of Gomorrah and the King of Admah and the King of Zoboan and the King of Bela, the same as Zoar, and they joined battle with them in the Vale of Sidom Now <clears throat> again, there's a battle going to take place here, okay? That's what's going on. Whew, got that out. Verse 10. And the veil of Sodom was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they uh, and they that retreated fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abraham's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped, and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eschel, the brother of Anur, and these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them and pursued them unto Hoba, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people. Basically, what we find here in this particular passage is we find a region had broken out in war. And the cities of the plains found themselves in a dire strait. I mean a real mess. Those of Sodom and Gomorrah had been taken captive now by these warring nations. One of the men taken hostage was this man by the name of Lot. And also another man had been taken. A servant, uh, no, excuse me, another man had been taken who escaped. And he ran to Abram's house and said, hey, listen, Abram, here's the situation. Let me tell you what's been going on. And he says, sadly, Lot has been taken. Sodom and Gomorrah have been brought under siege. And many have been taken captive. Many have been placed in bondage, sadly, of course, for Lot. He had yoked up with unbelievers, mind you. He was in fellowship with sinners at the time. And in chapter 14, 11, and 12, we find that the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, along with Lot now, because he's yoked up with them, is taken captive by the enemy. So, here's Lot now. He's in a mess. He's been taken captive. He and his household, all his goods, along with Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's Abram now. He finds out from a, a man that escapes this battle that, hey, Lot's stuck. Sodom and Gomorrah are in a mess. It's just a big problem. Well, that's the situation we find ourselves in. Now, here's the thing. I look at Lot and I look at his life and I see him yoked up with unbelievers. I recognize the fact now that in this warfare, they are now taken captive and in bondage. By the way, can I tell you that the world is in bondage? Can I tell you that, that Lot and those like him that yoke up with unbelievers find themselves in bondage? Look if you would in the book of Romans chapter 6 verse 16. Six sixteen through 18. I'm not talking about you've got somebody at work that you're working on and you're trying to be a friend to them and try to help them out. You're being an encouragement to them. You're sharing the gospel from time to time. You're trying to show them what Christ likeness ought to be and what being a believer is all about. That's not what I'm talking about. And we're talking about Lot who found his way down to Sodom and Gomorrah and those plains down there. And he, he ultimately yokes up. He becomes part of the crowd. He, he becomes to fit in pretty well. Matter of fact, he's sitting at the gate. I mean, he's probably someone in authority and, and influence in the city at this point. He's in a mess. He has found himself yoked up with unbelievers. And as a result of that, he finds himself captive. He finds himself bound. He finds himself in the hands of the enemy. Unlike... Or should I say, just like any other person who gets mixed up or is lost without Christ. Romans 16: 16, 6, 6, 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. In the book of John, chapter 8, verse 36, the Bible says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Yeah, amen. Let me tell you, the devil is in the business of binding. He's in the business of capturing. He's in the business of holding men and women hostage. That's what he does. But I want you to note chapter 14 again. Genesis verse 16. Although Lot along with Those of Sodom and Gomorrah have been taken captive by the enemy, although they're bound and they're probably, who knows, maybe in chains, I don't know, but they are certainly bound by the enemy and held captive. I want you to see in verse 16 now that the Bible says, and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. I mean, what in the world happens between verses 11 and 12 and verse 16? In one case, they're all bound. In one sense, they're all taken captive. Now we see them free in verse 16. Liberated by this man. What happened? What took place? You say, well, a battle took place. I'd say, absolutely, a battle took place. You say, well, uh, I see, not only a battle, but victory. There was victory. Indeed, there was victory. Absolutely. But I want to emphasize something that I think is a bit more important. Here it is now. A man of God happened. A man of God happened. A man of God who led the battle. A man of God who gained the victory. A man of God who delivered the captive. That's what happened here in the passage. I mean, what the world, the lost and the wayward believer needs is a man of God this evening. They may not appreciate the man of God when he proclaims the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ or he points out their failure and their sin. He may not appreciate that, but they still need a man of God. And even as the man of God was the only hope that Lot and the people Sodom and Gomorrah had, may I say to you today that the only hope that our nation has today The only hope that our nation has of escaping the captive arms of Satan and the only hope our nation has of being delivered out of the bondage and enslavement of Satan himself is a man of God. Undoubtedly, Abraham was a man of God. I think that's a given. And tonight, I want to note some of his characteristics and in turn identify the man of God this evening. I guess I'm wondering tonight, is there a man of God in the house? Is there a man of God in the house? And so let's go ahead and pray and then we'll see. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd help us tonight. Father, may you speak to our hearts as we exit the past year and we move into the new year. Father, help us, Lord, to prepare ourselves and ready ourselves for what you have ahead for us. God, we know that you have a plan and you have a purpose. May we fit into that plan and purpose. May we fulfill our part in it all. God of heaven, I pray your Holy Spirit would move into this place, that, Father, your Holy Spirit would, Father, take his place here in this pulpit, that he'd fill my shoes, that, Lord, he would speak through me, and, Lord, may I be your mouthpiece tonight. Lord, may the men and the women of God tonight be encouraged and moved, Father, to become and to be everything that you want them to be. Lord, may we be in a position, leaving tonight, to be motivated and moved, Father, to reach our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we need you tonight. We love you. We just pray for your leadership and we commit the service into your hands. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I mean, is there a man of God in the house tonight? A man of God who is, first of all, called of God. Called of God. Look over Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. One of the things that we can't dispute about Abram was that he was called of God. He had a supernatural calling on his life. God had spoken to him and God had led him and directed him. As we'll see in chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will shew thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. I mean, first his calling was certain. There is no doubt he was called. It was very personal. It was very particular to Abram himself right off the bat, right from the beginning. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, He didn't say it to anyone else. He didn't mix words. He simply said, Abram, guess what? I've got something for you. It's you I'm speaking to. It's you I'm going to call. And boy, I'll tell you what, his calling was certain, without a doubt. And his calling, number two, was clear. Very clear. It was clear what God would have him to do. Again, in verse 1, he says, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will shew thee. I have a place for you. I've got a land for you. And it's going to mean you're going to have to step out by... Abram, I'm calling you and I'm telling you to go. Well, I'll tell you what, that calling was certain and that calling was clear. But not only that, that calling was considerable. When I say considerable, what I mean is that it would impact many. It was a big calling in a sense. It would have a tremendous impact, not only on him, his wife, his family, but on many other families, including you and I, even tonight. Notice it says in verse 2, again, and I will make of thee a great nation. We know Israel became a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Ultimately, we find that Abram would bear or be the uh, produce the offspring that would bring forth the Messiah himself. Every family, every nation would be blessed by him. What a calling Abraham had. Abraham had an amazing calling. The Apostle Paul reflects on his particular calling and expresses his appreciation for it over in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, when he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. The Apostle Paul. He goes on ultimately in Acts chapter 26, verse 19, when facing Agrippa, he, he ultimately says to him, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly call. God called me on that road to Damascus. God put a a burning in my heart and God gave me a purpose in life. God told me what He had had me to do. And I've been obedient and I've done exactly what God called me to do. As a believer, we are partakers of a very high calling ourselves. Whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, I want you to know that when God spoke to your heart and you received the Lord Jesus Christ, you became part of a family, yes, but you also received a high calling. In chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says, speaking of Paul, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May I say, you have a calling as well. And I'm telling you, you must fulfill that calling. You must find exactly what God will have you to do, even in specifically, and fulfill it and do it. God has something for you. I'm glad God has a purpose for every believer. And He's got a plan for every believer. Never believe somehow that you're too little or insignificant that you don't matter. That's a lie right out of hell itself. You are significant and you do matter. And somebody's depending on you to fulfill your calling in Christ Jesus. I wonder if there's a man of God in the house, called of God. Number two, a man of God that is concerned for souls. In Genesis fourteen, fourteen, again, as we deal with Abraham, or Abram at the time, we notice it says here, and when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, and again when it says his brother, it's not talking about his physical brother, it's talking about his is how they how they spoke about things in those days, how they referred to those family members, and, and even though it was his brother's son, he still was considered his brother. There's many of you tonight that are not my biological brother, but I call you brother even. And if I wrote a paper tonight, or if I wrote a book, I might say, brother so-and-so, my brother said this. And you'd be like, he wasn't really his brother. Yes, you are in Christ. Now, again, we can go and debate all day long what this or that. That must be a mistake. There's no mistakes in the Bible. And so, nonetheless, we see here that he heard that his brother was taken captive. Remember, that man had escaped. He came to Abram. He began to share with him the situation. And so as a result, Abram armed his trained servants, both in his house, own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. I'm gonna tell you, Abraham was extremely concerned for Lot and his well-being. He heard that he was in a dire strait. He heard that he was in a mess. He had found out that he had been taken captive by the enemy, and he was bound, and he was captive. And he said, listen, I'm concerned for Lot. I'm worried about Lot. I've got a burden for Lot. I want to do something to deliver him. Even as Abraham's heart was moved and great concern was demonstrated on Lot's behalf. So our hearts should break for those that are bound by Satan tonight. Look, if you would, in Psalm chapter 126, verse 6. It's so easy to get caught up in life. And it's so easy to be overwhelmed with our own circumstances and our own situation that we lose sight of the great need that exists in the lives and the souls of mankind. Yet the book of Psalms tells us in chapter 126, verse 6, that he that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Notice again, this one that's going forth, he's going forth or she's going forth, weeping, bearing the precious seed, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ in our case. And doubtless, doubtless, they'll come again with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. You go with a broken heart and you go with the right message. May I say God's going to bless it. And you say, well, we live in a very wicked age and we live in a time when people don't, aren't interested in the truth and no one wants to hear that stuff anymore. That is not true at all. And by the way, there's still a heaven and there's still a hell. And the deceiver, Satan, would try and convince us otherwise. The tempter would have us question the reality of that place called hell. He'd have us question the literal fire of that place and the eternal nature of that place. Boy, he takes great pleasure when you and I as believers dismiss the urgency of the work that God has called us to do. To try to get us to rest and relax and take it easy while the world perishes. Perishes. Try to distract us with the good so that we don't fulfill the best things. seek to distract us from the sound of the clanking chains of sin that bind this world. Abraham was concerned for souls. I wonder tonight, is there a man of God in the house? I'm talking about a man of God that is called of God and concerned for souls. wonder, a man of God that's committed to battle. Committed to battle. Genesis chapter 14, verse 15. Our text says, And he, talking of Abram, divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. Boy, we live in a dark day. A dark time. And yet, may I say, we need to be very careful with how we address that issue. Because sometimes we give ourselves and others the impression that the day in which we live is so much darker than it's ever been in history. That is a lie, my friend. We have more opportunity than we've ever had to reach the world with the gospel. And we have as much freedom as is necessary and needed at this point to get the job done relatively simple. There may come a day in the near future where we won't have these privileges and we won't have these freedoms and we won't have the liberty to preach like we preach today. We won't have the liberty to knock on doors the way we've done. We won't have the liberty and the freedom at least expressed and extended by our government that we now have to street preach or to send things over the internet or to talk to people face to face. Maybe there'll come a day, and it may be sooner than we want, that they'll say, no way, no gospel, no Jesus Christ, no resurrected Savior permitted here. And yet we will still have every needed tool to get the job done. May I say there were days like that in history. We haven't gotten there yet. But there is a man of God now. By the name of Abram. Who is committed to battle. And says, it's not something that I want to have to take on. I'm not necessarily looking for fights. I don't necessarily want to get into a battle and lose any servants or find any casualties or, or, or fatalities. That's not necessarily what I'm looking for. But if it comes down to it, I'm willing to battle. I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to do what's necessary to deliver those that are bound. Abraham could not just sit by and watch his nephew and the others who were carried away captive. Simply rot. He had to fight. And our battle with evil is just as real as Abraham's was. We may not be fighting with a literal sword and shield. But our warfare is real nonetheless. We're fighting for the souls of men and women, boys and girls today. Someone has to demonstrate some concern. Someone has to muster up some courage for those that are bound and those that are being held captive by Satan. Can we just stand around and watch? Someone must show some concern. Express some compassion. Muster up some courage in order to free those that are enslaved in the bondage of sin. Committed to battle. Boy, the truth is that we're soldiers, aren't we? That's what the Bible teaches. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as, good, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't enlist in the army of the Lord. I enlisted in heaven. Well, you got a two-for-one special. Whether you know it or not. You're in the battle now. And there is a warfare taking place, a spiritual battle against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the man of God, the woman of God is a soldier there to fight the good fight of faith. In 1 Timothy 6, 12, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Oh, fight the good fight of faith. Abraham was committed to battle. I wonder, is there a man of God in the house? A man that's called of God, concerned for souls, and committed to battle tonight? Not only that, but a man of God convinced he can. Convinced he can. You know, we didn't notice any hesitation in the voice or response of Abraham. Abraham. Now, I wasn't there, obviously. I wasn't standing next to him when the messenger came in. I don't know. Maybe he was shivering and shaken. Maybe he was all upset and thought, oh no, oh no, what are we going to do now? I don't think so. I doubt that. I believe Abram knew exactly what needed to be done and he acted. He responded decisively and directly addressed the problem. He was convinced that his particular effort would make a difference. See, the Apostle Paul makes a statement in Philippians four thirteen. Turn there if you would, please, a very familiar one. But one that many times I believe we are remiss to remember, especially in the midst of circumstances that are rather difficult. When we face giants in our lives. Situations that seem bigger than us. I am glad today that none of those things are bigger than the Christ we serve. Notice what it says in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Oh, we may quote that verse and talk about it a lot, but in reality, how many times do we find ourselves being somewhat reserved about Stepping forward by faith. How many times do we find ourselves at, at the edge of life knowing that God wants us to make that next step, but we are so hesitant because we lack the very faith we need to take that step. We forget about the passage that says, I can do old things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Instead, we wonder, well, I wonder if God will really catch me. I wonder if God will really protect me. I wonder if God will provide for me and my family. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. He's already helped us. The time we stop questioning whether God can or can't and simply say God can and God will. And the fact is, is that I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. See, the man of God has great confidence in his master. And therefore, he's convinced that he can make a difference. Think about David. Remember David? How can we even talk about this without thinking about David? I mean, David exhibited a tremendous amount of courage when he faced Goliath, did he not? But that courage was not the byproduct necessarily, or should I say that courage was the byproduct of something else. It was the byproduct of a great faith that he had in his Lord. He was convinced that God would deliver Goliath into his hands. Therefore, as a result of that, he could respond decisively when confronting the enemy. Remember what David did when he faced Goliath? What did David do? He ran toward him. I can't even imagine that. I can only imagine if Goliath was out there and it was me that was going to fight him, I'd be sizing him up going, wow, now that's a big boy. And I wonder if there's any areas of weakness that I can find. And I wonder if there's a piece of armor that's not quite seated properly that I might be able to attack him at. I'd have been concerned about what I can and can't do, but David, he was decisive. He was confident. He knew exactly how it was going to go down before it ever went down because he knew his God was going to deliver him. It wasn't a matter of pride or arrogance on the part of David. It was a matter of faith and confidence in the faith that he had in Christ. Abraham was a man of God. And was confident that God was with him. And thus he was convinced that all things were possible. Matthew chapter 19 verse 26 says, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, the man of God is convinced that he can Not because he can do all that in and of himself, as we said already, but because he serves a God that can. He serves a God that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. D.L. Moody was asked to come to London and hold services. A number of churches had come together to share the finances and to share in the work of a, a, a very large campaign, a citywide campaign. A meeting was scheduled to give everyone an opportunity to meet the preacher and to ask them questions. It kind of went like this. Question. Do you honestly intend to do anything about London's miserably poor? Sure, said D.L. Moody. And I'll tell you something else. I'll do something about London's miserably rich, too. They laughed again and He kind of felt the difference. They were kind of on his side. And a number of questions had already been asked. And now all of a sudden he thought, this is it. They're on my side. And he said, hey, there's time for one more. Just one more question. A man in the left section stood and said, Mr. Moody, I'm no heresy hunter. But we'd all feel better if we had your creed. Can you get it published before the campaign? D.L. kind of paced to the edge of the platform and he kind of bent over and 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 would he just spoke so confidently and he said no need to it's already in print you'll find it in black and white in Isaiah chapter fifty three He held up his hand and he said I guess London is ready for Moody I'll admit something. Moody ain't ready for London. He won't ever be. But God is. He'll stand up there in Moody's shoes. I don't know if that does anything for you, but it does a lot for me. 1 John chapter 4 verse 4 says, Year of God, little children, and have, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Right. Boy, D.L. Moody knew, oh, London's a big city. And I've been to many big cities and I've held a number of campaigns. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm not ready for London. But I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> God is. And God can do what Moody can't. And may I say God can do what you and I can't do either. It's time we stop taking on the, 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 the little, uh, you know, scared and backward and timid position, the, the place where we say, I can't do it, I'm so scared and I'm so nervous and I don't have any ability and I, I'm just incapable and unqualified. Would you stop it right now and say, I'm a child of the king. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's time we stop allowing the devil to tell us we're of no value to God and His kingdom. And recognize the fact that there's a major purpose for our existence. And that God wants to do something great with our lives. In order to reach a world that's lost without Christ. Abraham was convinced he could. I wonder, is there a man of God in the house? A man of God that's called of God. Concerned for souls. Committed to battle. And convinced he can. Finally, I wonder, is there a man of God in the house that's just content to serve? Content to serve. Genesis chapter 14, as we go to the latter verses of the chapter, we read, it says, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me. He says, Abner, Esco, and Mamre, let them take their portion. But Abner says, for me, I don't want nothing. I don't want anything. I will not allow you to believe or to say or to somehow tell others that it was you that made me rich. No, it was God in heaven that took care of me. It was God in heaven that met my needs. It was God in heaven that has done everything that I need done in my life. I give Him the glory. I give Him the honor. And I am content simply to serve. I went to battle expecting nothing. I went out to lead the captive out of bondage. I went out to meet the enemy face to face. I didn't do it for a reward necessarily. I didn't do it just to get something in return. I didn't do it to get a pat on the back or someone say, good job, keep up the good work. I did it for God I did it for service sake. Let me tell you something, we need some men and women of God tonight that will serve, not expecting a pat on the back, but will just simply allow the service itself to be the reward. We are so spiritually spoiled. How tempting is it to throw a tantrum when we are not acknowledged or thanked every time we serve? May our service truly be an expression of our gratitude and thankfulness to Jesus Christ. May we truly serve the Lord. And if a person truly serves the Lord... And they're not going to require or expect anything from the hands of men. Now listen, I'm not saying that you don't need to necessarily express gratitude. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with giving honor where honor is due. I understand that. But if it is expected, if it is demanded, if it is required, then my friend, that is not someone that's serving Jesus Christ out of a heart of servitude and gratitude. Abraham was content to serve. I wonder, is there a man of God in the house tonight? A man of God that's called of God. Concerned for souls. Committed to battle. Convinced that he can. And content to just serve God. What the world needs today is a man of God. And the world needs some women of God too, ladies. Don't misunderstand me. But I'd like to rouse up some of these so-called men. Men that are too busy to serve God. Men that are too busy to acknowledge His place and position in their life. His rightful place. May God help us. Not to get so enamored by the world. So caught up in life. So bound by the chains of this world even. So caught up in vice and sin that we ourselves are held captive. May instead we be men and women of God who are quick to the battle, to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying. The Marines have a saying, and it's been successfully used to recruit young men into its ranks and young ladies in its ranks for years now. The phrase originated many years ago with the captain of a 28-gun frigate, then docked in Boston. William Jones advertised in the March 20th, 1779, Providence, Rhode Island Gazette, the need for a, quote, few good men. The need for a few good men to engage in a short cruise (laughs) and gave the Marine Corps a recruiting slogan it would be using using 200 years later. Just looking for a few good men, the Marines would say. The Marines may be looking for a few good men, but I know someone else that is too. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. A few good men who will accept the call of God in their life. Recognize that they are children of God with a purpose and a calling. Who will be concerned for souls and committed to battle and convinced they can and just simply contend to serve. I wonder, will you be that man tonight? As we enter into 2018, when you say, I'll be that man, there's a world dying and going to hell. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to lead someone to Christ and lead them out of captivity into liberty and freedom in Jesus. Somebody's got to step up. We're looking for a few good men, the Lord says. And I wonder, is there a man of God in the house tonight? Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, to help us tonight to be the men and women of God we ought to be.